Greetings, everybody. David Avocado Wolf here. I've got a distinguished guest, one of my favorite people, and I just love going over to his house and talking to him about science and where science is going and the dangers and not scientism, but actual science. And we're going to get into some of the more innovating things happening right now and really what he's up to, which is the Institute for Responsible Technology. That's what we need more of. That person is none other than Jeffrey Smith. How are you, Jeffrey? Really good, David. So good to talk to you. Great to talk to you too. And uh, I love your upbeat attitude. And tell us what, what's going on, what's the latest, and, and let's check it out. Okay, I'm going to introduce a completely new, and this is not uplifting in the first part, but the solution is a completely new existential threat to the planet, which eight out of eight audiences that I've spoken with rated it as more serious than global climate change. And some of these were climate change conferences. So I'm going to get, I'm preparing you now, I'm preparing you now because what I have, and this is not designed to bring you more fear. We have enough fear in the world as it is, but the information is real, it's urgent, and we have a way to solve it. So I'm going to give, I'm going to lay this down. I'm going to show you a trailer for a film we're going to release. It's two minutes. I think everyone's going to go, oh my God, I can't believe it. So let me just prepare you in a moment about what this is about. We know that if you introduce a genetically engineered organism into the environment, it is permanently part of the gene pool. You cannot recall it. That's point one. Point two, the most common result of genetic engineering is surprise side effects. Point three, so far they've only introduced a little more than a, you know, maybe a dozen commercialized GM food crops in 25 years with normal GMOs. Point four, with gene editing, it is so cheap and easy. You can create a new organism for the price of dinner. You can be, get a do-it-yourself gene editing kit on, on Amazon for $169. And if you're a transnational, you can produce thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands in robots driven by artificial intelligence, especially microbes. Now, put that together and it is possible that we may replace nature in this generation by putting out so many of these gene-altered GMOs that future generations do not inherit the products of the billions of years of evolution, but instead inherit the products of laboratory creations prone to side effects, creating little genetic time bombs like invasive species of an entire ecosystem being replaced, and then we can look at ecosystem collapse, and other cataclysms. So that's the background to what I'm about to share. And what I'm about to share is you probably, you and I were like, oh my God, they're genetically engineering humans in China. Remember that? The the, the two twins, they were born. This guy went in there and did some gene editing, which by the way, didn't work, but it, it can create massive collateral damage in the DNA. Not a good thing to experiment on humans. But our Ethical considerations were like up here. Maybe when we see pictures of, I'm sure you've seen these horribly suffering genetically engineered animals, the overmuscular ones, the other ones that couldn't stand, it, it, it moves our hearts. So from an ethical standpoint, higher organisms draw our attention. From a health and environmental standpoint, it's the lower organisms which are more dangerous, the microbes, the viruses, in comes the pandemic. And so What I'm going to share with you at the end of this trailer is how the pandemic has prepared 
human civilization to make some changes, hopefully, that will protect against future cataclysms. Okay? Well said. All right. I first became aware of, of your insight here when we were last together. And wow, it's just been one of those looming catastrophes that just sits over us. But we're more prepared now than ever to deal with it. And we're more aware now than ever. So let's check it out. Let's see what you got on your trailer. Okay, I'm going to do a screen share right now. And this is for a film called Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle. You can buy a do-it-yourself gene editing kit from Amazon for $169 so you can alter bacteria in the comfort of your own home. The most common and consistent result from genetic engineering from the beginning has been surprise side effects. When you genetically engineer bacteria, algae, fungus, viruses, they can't be traced and they can proliferate easily around the planet. All of those um, treatments where the genetically engineered bacterium had been present were dead. We're talking about a real world potential nightmare. Just everything that exists in a terrestrial system would be slowly but surely destroyed as this bacterium moved out. So we were within two weeks of that genetically engineered organism being released. Two weeks. Looking at the ecological effect of a bacterium engineered this way, the logical consequence of releasing this to the real world would be that we would lose terrestrial plants. It could theoretically change weather patterns. There is an excellent possibility it will swap genetic information with the bacteria that reside in our gut. COVID-19 is a glaring example of how microorganisms, whether genetically engineered or not, can quickly encircle the globe. Once GMO bacteria are released, no policy can stop it. There are companies now with facilities full of robots driven by artificial intelligence for massive release. What if 100,000 different strains are released in this generation? What if it's a million? All future generations are sentenced to inherit our mistakes. The time we have to control these things is before you release them. And that is the only time. It would have affected the whole world. So I apologize for the fear that I'm introduced. <laughs> well, we, we've got to know, right? We yes. This is the thing. We can't be just, you know, I can't hear it. Ah, <laughs> We have to actually know what's going on, and we have to know the capabilities of, of the technology. And if one – let me just re rehash what you told me way yeah. back when. Okay, so let me rehash this back to when we first discussed this when I was over at your house – if even one of these got out and was and it was the wrong thing, we're talking about a, a earthwide catastrophe. It's possible. You see, there's a range. And so we chose the ones that are obviously in the film, three examples that are obviously potentially catastrophic. The first one, Elaine Ingham, who was a professor in Oregon State, her her graduate student was doing research on some genetically modified uh, bacteria, organisms that 
were about to be released two weeks later when he discovered, well, let me explain how it works. Well-meaning scientists engineered Klebsiella planticula, a type of genetic, a type of bacteria that's found in every root system all over the world, engineered it to turn plant matter into alcohol. And these well-meaning scientists wanted to distribute the bacteria to farmers so that instead of burning their fields, they can mix the crop stubble in large buckets and large drums with the bacteria. Two weeks later, pour out alcohol to run their tractors and then take the nutrient-rich sludge from the bottom of the barrel, spread on their fields as fertilizer. So that had passed all the studies needed by the EPA and was ready to be tested to see how far it would spread once released. And then it was going to be sent around to farmers. Two weeks before it was released, this young scientist who had taken that nutrient-rich sludge and mixed it with dirt and added seeds found that the wheat seeds died. They all turned to slime. The bacteria was still active in the fertilizer and it turned all the roots and then the plants into alcohol. Now, that's scenario number one. Scenario number two, how far would it have spread? Would it have had an impact? So some employees from the EPA contacted Elaine Ingham and told her that a super secret study had been done by the EPA that they have never acknowledged, where they took genetically engineered bacteria and released it in Louisiana and set up monitoring around it and found that it moved 11 miles in the first year, another 11 miles. And eventually, after they had stopped funding the study, but independent EPA employees continued to monitor, test, and evaluate, they found it everywhere on the planet. Now, having just, having lived now through this current COVID-19 situation, that's obvious that that's possible with these tiny organisms and viruses. It can travel around the world. And so the question is, what would have happened if this genetically engineered bacteria had traveled around the world and moreover had a, a survival advantage over its natural counterpart? Let's say it killed its natural counterpart with alcohol. But since it can survive alcohol, it just moves in like an invader, killing all of the natural Klebsiella planticula, which then in turn kills all of the roots. And that's where she said the natural consequence, if that were to happen, would be the end of terrestrial plant life on the planet. That's a cataclysm. One single genetically engineered bacteria. Another one, this was almost released in the 90s. In the 80s, they wanted to release Ice Minus to turn Pseudomonas syringae into an impotent bacteria. Normally, Pseudomonas syringae lines up water molecules, refrigerates them, turns them into, into raindrops, into snow, into sleet, into ice. And it's part of our weather patterns. Now, it also creates frost on strawberries and potatoes. So they wanted, well-meaning scientists wanted to reduce the destruction of strawberries and potatoes. But if it had gotten out, it might have changed weather patterns possibly permanently because the point that takes the, the moisture in the air and turns it into a raindrop would not be doing its job if it were the genetically engineered variety. So those are two outdoor releases. We can go to the virus world. We don't have to think of COVID, we don't have to think of COVID-19. Just think of H5N1 avian flu. 24 times, up to 24 times more deadly than the COVID-19 virus. 
but it doesn't spread very easily. You have to be around the livestock or the animals a long time. However, two different sets of scientists genetically engineered it to be airborne. Insane. Now, Insane. if you think, oh, no, it's okay, it's secure in a laboratory, think again. The other version of H5N1 was accidentally shipped from the laboratory, the same laboratory that that exposed 75, virus, uh, 75 scientists to anthrax, probably the same one that, and then at the same time, they found live smallpox virus in a cardboard box in a laboratory in Maryland, when it's only supposed to be in two secure labs in the world, one in Siberia and one in Virginia. And these are just three examples of hundreds where supposedly secure facilities had accidental releases or near catastrophes. So when we look at what is the lesson learned, David, from the pandemic, don't genetically engineer potentially pandemic pathogens, you jerk. Don't release genetically engineered microbes. And anytime you use them or make them, lock that facility down. Because if it gets out, we don't know what may happen. And you can speak to this the importance of the microbiome and how bacteria share genes between species. So if you create a soil microbe, you may end up with that with the DNA of that genetically engineered insert in your own gut bacteria doing who knows what. Right. And, that, and that ecosystems and human beings and other organisms or large organisms have our basis of health on a healthy, balanced microbiome. I keep thinking of the disaster stories that I read about on Plum Island, Long Island, which was a USDA facility, originally U.S. Army facility, of which Lyme's disease is believed to have escaped from and also West Nile virus and numerous catastrophes happened at that facility. And I just keep thinking, like, we can't keep playing around with this. That's why I love your Institute for Responsible Technology. We need to actually stop these things before they become chimeric research or it gets funded or suddenly we got five labs around the world doing it. And so that's really the goal here, isn't it, is to just get a handle on this so that we stop it before it ever becomes a problem. It's kind of like nuclear weapons proliferation treaties and uh, we've got to get active on this one because this is much more insidious. It can spread much more quickly and God knows what the peripheral damage. I mean, this is a great point you bring up the, the unsuspected side effects. We don't know. I mean, we've got three or 400 different types of bacteria in our gut right now. If we're healthy, what if one of those is disturbed by a genetically modified sequence of DNA and suddenly that affects the whole ratio of the microbiome and where does that lead? And we know for with the GMO foods, it's not good, right? It is affecting our microbiome genetic expression and therefore it's disturbing part of our organism. It's disturbing, it's disturbing our natural protection mechanism, which is the shield of bacteria that lives on us and with us. And we know from the only human feeding study ever conducted on current eat, um, commercialized genetically engineered foods that part of the gene from genetically engineered soybeans actually did transfer into the DNA of gut bacteria and continued in a stable basis. So we are already maybe colonizing the gut bacteria of this generation unwittingly from putting bacterial genes into food because it's the bacterial genes that more readily transfer to bacterial to bacteria. And so we're putting bacterial genes and even viral genes into food considering it safe, feeding it to people, and end up changing the microbiome of our own gut. And also, 
we now have companies like JoinBio and others that want to introduce genetically engineered probiotics to our soil, to the large swaths of soil engineered. Who knows where that's going to be? Again, well-meaning scientists. We're not going to blame the scientists. This is they're doing what they what they do. They tinker, they create. What we need to do is have the laws in place so that this craziness won't persist, but it goes beyond laws. I know I have gained a deep understanding of the instability of laws and government regimes. I was flown to Poland by the government and gave a press conference with their Minister of Environment praising their non-GMO stance some years ago. A week later, it was a new government in place that was pro-GMO. I worked, I lobbied the the ministers and, and departments in Thailand, and they chose not to allow any genetically engineered organisms released in field trials. Ten days later, a new government came to, came into place and allowed it. So in addition to implementing strong laws domestically and international treaties, we need to embed the understanding in popular culture, in yeah. curriculum, that we have as a civilization come to an inevitable time. Where do, we, do, do you sense with the current politics in America that I, it just seems like it's like the demo publicans or the Republicrats? I mean, they're both in on the GMO story. They're both in on with the USDA, the USDA alliance with Monsanto. And are we ever going to get past? This seeming block that is just the lobby of these companies into the U.S. government. I mean, that's it's just, you know, it's a difficult experience for us because we're just doesn't matter who's in power. We're constantly in this fight and we need to get almost it seems like to me, Jeffrey, we need to get to almost like a Nuremberg code <laughs> of ethics. Right. This like this is not this is something we just we've got to have like a worldwide international uh, framework, a Nuremberg code, a code of honor that just stops this stuff. What are your thoughts about that? You, you've touched on some thoughts I've been thinking about for two years, and we're, we're, we're moving up the food chain on that one. First of all, there is a desire among many members of the House and Senate to create cross-aisle issues that can create um, a moving together especially now with a new administration that's always the opportunity and some there may be some opportunities there in federal government today second the pandemic is for all that it is and all the disruptions that it's created a silver lining of the pandemic has been to sound the alarm about this unseen these unseen kingdoms and the and the wrath that they can wreak so the issue is I'm leading, if you watch the film, I re I started the film actually before the pandemic. It's only like 14 or 15 minutes, it's not done yet, but it, I'm now leading with the pandemic lessons because it's perfect. It's as if, it's as if we have in hand something that everyone can rally around, just thinking about, no, of course we shouldn't enhance the infectious nature of deadly, potentially pandemic pathogens. That's obvious, but while we're at it, let's also not decimate the environment, create catastrophes and cataclysms with other members of these unseen kingdoms. 
Let's not increase the risk of that. And so because we're in it right now, people can't dismiss it as, oh, you're just a fear monger. No, I'm being practical. This, you know, if the H5N1 airborne avian flu got out with a 52% fatality rate, do I need to say any more? It's like, oh, and the most secure labs in the world have had accidents where they've accidentally shipped or leaked these products. Do I need to say more? And it's like, so what you said would have been a lot harder to answer a year ago. But because of the pandemic, there is an unmet need to prevent as far as possible future calamities. What can what can people do? So people watching right now, they want to support the Institute for Responsible Technology. They want to support your work, get your work out there, get the film out there. Where can we send them? Okay. ProtectNatureNow.com. ProtectNatureNow.com. You can watch the trailer. You can sign up. You'll be informed when the film comes out, which will be soon. But we have other things that we will want you to do. There'll be opportunities for you to contact your elected officials, to sign petitions, to, to do click and send revolutionary army kind of stuff where you can send materials, press releases, letters to the editor. And if you can, and I hope that you can at least some way support us financially. You see, we are starting a new global movement. Now, we're familiar with that since we pioneered the global movement focused on the health dangers of GMOs. I've been doing this for a quarter of a century, and we created the behavior change messaging that ultimately took hold and convinced half of the world's population that GMO foods are not safe. Now, we're pivoting now, not focusing so much on the health of GMO foods or the lack of it, but uh, because our personal choices in the supermarket, while they'll have very powerful effects on whether GMO foods are grown, they're not going to stop the introduction of genetically modified bacteria, viruses, grasses, insects, trees, etc. So we need a new type of movement, and we can't afford to wait 25 years because by that time, we will have replaced a big portion of nature and maybe already dealing with one or more of these genetic time bombs that go off with cataclysms or catastrophes or problems. So we want to create a worldwide movement inviting all the other movements to introduce this protection of the integrity of the gene pool as one of the planks on their platforms, whether you're in climate change or oceans or environmental preservation or animal rights or human health or religious and spiritual concerns, whatever it is, this is critical. Protecting nature is critical. It's only for those that breathe, eat, and live. <laughs> So if you, if you it, it only applies to every single thing that we know <laughs> right. um, in the material realm. <clears throat> so I'd like to I'd like to ask if people can not only make a donation at Protect Nature Now, but make it recurring, whatever, whether it's one dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, or a thousand dollars or more, we actually will be raising millions. It's that we want to know that that money is coming on a regular basis so that we can hire that person, so that we can create that film, so that we can commit our resources because we know that you're supporting us and are on our and on our team. So I would like to recommend that you go to Protect Nature Now, sign up so that you stay informed, make a donation, and then share whatever you see and whatever you get.
I do want to mention to everybody out there that um, I know Jeffrey Smith's work for years, and he's done extraordinary work on GMOs. I mean, we would never have the knowledge about GMOs and their dangers without Jeffrey Smith. So it, to support him, is it's like you're putting a bet on the right guy. Right. There's so many nonprofits and things out there where you don't know where that money went or like the American Lung Association or the American Heart Association, where it just gets caught up in bureaucracy and it's paying salaries for fat cats up there. This is a totally different thing. You're a grassroots kind of guy, Jeffrey. That's what I love about you. And you never lose sight of that. And I do want to mention that to everybody out there is. I, I'm a grassroots type of guy. By the way, in, in uh, 19, in this year, we put the, in 96,000 trees into the ground this last year in 2020 during the pandemic. Woo. We were really, it was really an amazing and impressive year for my team. I was, I was absolutely proud of them. That's the kind of nonprofit work we do. This, but we're not going to even have any trees if we don't deal with this other issue. So protectnaturenow.com, phenomenal. Really glad that you're, you've stepped into this now. So this is a big move for you. Oh, yeah. In fact, what we are as the Institute, we're actually helping to coordinate a coalition. We actually are reaching out to hundreds and hundreds of other organizations and are creating, just as we did with the other issue, creating assets they can use. They can put their own labels on it. You know, we're just basically crafting the best messaging, creating forums, creating materials, creating a structure so that the world can step up to this level and we can protect all living beings and all future generations because we finally have, unfortunately, a technology that can damage all living beings and all future generations. That means we have a new responsibility as humanity. And the good news is that when we actually become stewards, when we see ourselves in that new natural relationship as protectors, it expands our hearts, it expands our minds, it connects us more deeply with nature, and we realize we have a job to do. And it's a job we can consider it a burden or we consider it an opportunity. No one in human history in the past has had the ability to protect all living beings and all future generations. Now we have that as an opportunity. And so this is an invitation for humanity to stretch individually and collectively into a new role. So there's a huge positivity on the heels of this threat. And that is to take full sovereignty and support and collaboration with others and with nature. That was beautiful. I, you know, I really feel that, uh, you know, obviously I'm a extremely oriented person towards the environment. And it's one of those things that, you know, I just feel my heart and my soul that if we don't protect our environment, we have nothing left, but this is really even deeper because this is an unseen microbiological agent danger that could affect all life. It could, I mean, if something gets unleashed, it could affect a certain race of trees. It could wipe out certain crops and wipe them out worldwide within a couple of years, and so, it, or even worse. And uh, we've only, almost had a couple of incidents like that. Now, when you brought up Elaine Ingham, I was thinking about, I know Elaine Ingham because of her work with the compost teas. Yes, yes. So, yes. So Elaine, um, I've interviewed her like a few times, and she's in the film, as you saw. And she, she just happened to be the, the advisor of the graduate student. Once she saw that what happened, she went and spoke in front of the UN. That raised the alarm around the world and drove a lot of regulation and the Convention on Biological Diversity and the Cartagena Protocol on Biosafety. When she got back to Oregon State, she was basically kicked out. They were basically saying, you know, if you're not pro-GMO, you have no place here. So she, was, she was bounced out of her position and 
they, then they also went after her. You know how the biotech industry in Monsanto does it. They lie about you. They misquote you. They claim that what you said is wrong. And they, you know, they tried to do this with me all the time. But she, she tells me now that she's working with natural ways of enhancing soil, that she's actually cost the Monsanto and the biotech industry billions of dollars by now. So she's she's on the payback and she's doing great. So she's seen the film. She loves how it's been presented. She thought we, we did an accurate job. What I do, I've been interviewing scientists for years and unlike normal journalists, I'll just send what I write to the scientists before I put it out say, did I get it right? Am I missing anything? I want to be perfect in this. And so I sent her the information and she was impressed. Okay, good. All right. That, that's fantastic. So I, I feel like we've got a good framework now for a new venture, right? Which is essentially, a, it's a new environmental movement, which is protecting these microbi- microorganisms from, is it, tell me if I'm getting this right. Is it CRISPR technology? Is that the gene editing technology that we're talking about? CRISPR is the one that's the cheapest. It's the poster child. There are others as well, but exactly. We can just talk about CRISPR. Okay. Now, just so you know, just so that everyone is equipped. And if you go to our site, this is there. We're going to be do, doing training. We're going to be doing activist training, knowledge, and you know, showing everyone what the details of this are so that they can't pull the wool over our eyes. But they claim that GMO, that gene editing is natural, safe, predictable, and is basically doing what nature would be doing anyway, just more efficiently. These are the exact same words they used for GMOs 25 I was just thinking that. That's like almost word for word. Right. And it turns out that we have documented all these different ways that gene editing, including CRISPR, can damage, create unpredicted side effects for this generation and future generations. In fact, a recent study, I think when mice, they did a CRISPR gene edit found a change in gene expression that was epigenetic, not genetic, epigenetic, and it continued for at least 10 generations. They tested all the mice. So that means doing a gene edit now can cause damage 10 generations later. And they, they have found their supposed poster child of the hornless cattle that was gene edited and said, this shows that it was so perfect. We don't need any regulation. Years later, they found, oh, guess what? There's bacterial DNA inside your cows with antibiotic-resistant genes that could potentially create diseases. Anyway, it goes on and on. It's not natural. It's not safe. It's not predictable. And yet many governments of the world are convinced that it is and have a hands-off policy. So in Japan this week, they announced, or last week, they announced that there's a gene-edited tomato. Didn't require any review by the government, no safety studies. The U.S. has a gene-edited Mushroom hasn't even been commercialized yet, but the USDA and others said, we don't need to look at it. It's gene editing. It's safe. So with that attitude, the ability to replace nature, including our food supply, is devastating. So part of our education process is to let everyone know the truth about the dangerous technologies. Fantastic. And I know there's going to be people listening who will become advocates, they'll become supporters, and may even become evangelists and scientists involved in this, because we've got a whole audience, lots of new young people coming in. I was on the phone today with, a, I think the guy was maybe 18 or 19 years old doing an interview. And so we get this new generation to, to step in, right? Because at some point, you'll be like 150, you might be past your, you might be past your prime. And at that point, we need new people in there. Well, I'm not going to admit now that 150 would be past my prime, but we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, you're not doing with, good so far in spite, of, in spite of this. Not with your superfoods, man. <laughs> right on. Thanks. You know, one of the things that, that's important here is, and I, this is what I love about you, Jeffrey Smith, and, and I think we'll leave it on this note because we've given people a lot and they're going to be able to take a, do a lot with the information here and get to protectnaturenow.com. But one of the things that's really beautiful about your approach, and, and it's an approach I aspire to emulate, is just having the right attitude about it all. Right. Because I think at some level in your personality, you, you know that we're, we're spiritual beings. We're having a human experience, a material experience. And our joy comes from that. It doesn't come from the material world. Is, am I wrong about that or did I get that right? You know something, David, I, 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 I think about this every time I'm with you. Every time I talk to you, every time I hear you, there is a, a buoyancy, a optimism, a glorious celebration in every in your whole attitude in life and and so you say you aspire to that well i have to say you landed it you model it <laughs> man you are you are awesome that way and yes i think that what like you're you get to t- talk to people about all these great ways of improving their health and superfoods and all this stuff i'm talking about all these ways that they can have they could be damaging their health and damaging the world but both need the optimistic model so that so that that actually becomes the energy we're sowing we're sowing seeds not just of action and not just physical seeds but also a vibration and attitude and how we want the world to be so thank you for bringing that up Wonderful. That's so great. And to everyone listening, you know, take that activism, that idea that it's an abundance activism. It's a buoyancy. I love the way you describe that and take that into your daily life. It's really a great teaching. And I, you know, I have to thank my teachers who imparted that onto me um, all those years ago that, you know, you have to have take the right attitude and there's no sense in the, in the doom and gloom report. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it, it's right. It's just, it's, we're, we're having a human experience down here and it's, you know, a lot of fun to be an activist. It's a lot of fun to be an environmentalist. And I love that you have that behavioral attitude and that just feeling about you. Okay. So again, everyone protectnaturenow.com. I'm David Avocado Wolf joined by Jeffrey Smith, also Institute of Responsible Technology done tremendous earth quaking work on GMOs and making making people aware of the dangers. Thanks so much. Thank you, David. And everyone, safe eating. Thank you for listening to Live Healthy, Be Well. Please subscribe to the podcast using whatever app you listen to podcasts with. Or go to livehealthybewell.com to subscribe. This podcast will inform you about health dangers, corporate and government corruption, and ways we can protect ourselves, our families, and our planet. I interview scientists, experts, authors, whistleblowers, and many people who have not shared their information with the world until now. Please share the podcast with your friends. It will enlighten and may even save lives. Safe eating.